0: You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and look with me at 2 Samuel, starting at chapter 15. I know for some of the folks here, you're thinking that, We have been in a holding pattern over 2 Samuel 15 through 18, and it's because we have been in a holding pattern over 2 Samuel 15 to 18. And it would be, I guess, easy just to move through here, but I have to tell you, as these characters are paraded before us in the life of David, there's powerful truth here. And so bear with me, I think we'll be here in these chapters for a little while. We've got much more to do. So this morning, let me remind you where we're at. David has been the king in Jerusalem. He has reigned faithfully there. And now there's a conspiracy. His son is coming after his life, after the throne. And David is on the run. Join me now in looking at 2 Samuel 15, starting at verse number 31. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God, behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head, on whom David said, If you pass on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me, but if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant. Hitherto so will I now also be thy servant. Then mayest thou for me defeat the sound counsel of Ahithophel. And as thou hast not there with thee Zodak and Abiathar the priest, therefore it shall be what, that what thing soever Thou shalt hear out of the king's house, thou shalt tell it to Zodak and Abiathar the priest. Behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahinamaz, Zodak's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them ye shall send unto me everything that ye can hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. And may we hear this morning exactly what God would have for us. At this stage, David now begins to feel the weight, um, the doom, and the dread of his situation. He is now running for his life, and as he's escaping, someone comes to him and says, Listen, David, just so that you know, the conspiracy's strong, it's powerful, and not only is Absalom seeking your life, but your most trusted counselor, Ahithophel, the man who, as he spoke, it became a parable in Israel that as he gave counsel, it was as if God was speaking directly through him. And David hears this, and he feels the weight and and the struggle, and now he knows he is truly in trouble. And the first thing David does is this. When he hears this, when he feels the weight, when he understands he's overwhelmed, it says that David prayed. He prayed. He said, God, I'm in trouble. This is bad. Ahithophel. Is against me. And oh God, please turn his counsel into foolishness. Now, I have to say to you, this is not our text this morning, but in these two verses, there is powerful truth for every one of us that I think we need to see. David feels the weight and the pressure of his situation, of his circumstances. He knows he's in trouble. My friend, this morning, listen to me. For all of us here, you either find yourself right now in a storm. You're there. And and you understand with David, Lord, I need help. You are either right now in a storm or you are coming out of a storm. There's been a season in your life where just now you have prayed and you struggled and now you see, okay, Lord, I think we've turned a corner. And for the rest of us, You are heading into a storm. And so it would be wise for all of us this morning to watch the example of David here. He's in trouble. He feels the weight. He feels the pressure. He prays. Now watch the next thing that he does. Verse number 32. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God. David's in trouble. He says, Lord, I need your help. And now what he does next is he goes to God and he worships. He goes from prayer to praise. And it's very important this morning that you see what happens here. What David does is he sees his problem, he prays, and then instead of fretting and worrying, he takes um, his focus and looks to God. And, and the bigness of his problem now pales in comparison to the bigness of the God that he is worshiping. David doesn't manipulate. Um, David doesn't orchestrate. David prays and then he worships. He directs his attention not to the problem, but to the person of God. And my friend, listen to me. We are so prone in our lives to pray and then to take that burden And to stay with it and hold on to it and to struggle with it. David doesn't do that. He's in real trouble. He's running for his life. He prays and then he worships. He worships. He says, God, you are God. You are beautiful. My attention, my focus now is off of my problem. And listen, nothing has changed. His circumstance hasn't changed and it won't change. But his focus has changed, and now he is looking to the bigness of his God and not the bigness of his problem, his situation, and circumstance. And watch what happens next. He prays, he worships, verse 32. Behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. And right away, David has prayed, David has worshiped, And and whether he realizes it or not, God has already provided for him in the coming of Hushai. And David could not have orchestrated this. David couldn't imagine what a blessing this was. He prayed, he praised, and now he has perspective. And again, nothing has changed. But now Hushai comes and David, after worshiping God, says, Hey, don't go with me. You'll be a burden. I don't know what that meant. I don't know what his problem was. But David said, you're not going with me. You'd be a burden. But if you go back to Jerusalem, it might just be that God will use you to turn the counsel of Ahithophel to foolishness. And we're going to see this morning that's exactly what happens. And so my friend, listen to me. If you are in the storm, if you're coming out of the storm, if you're heading into the storm, when we feel the weight of our burden, we pray. We pray. We then praise. And so, Lord, thou knowest. I don't see the end from the beginning. I'm going to trust you. And when that happens, we get clarity. We get perspective. We start to see things differently. Does that mean our problems are gone? No, it doesn't. But it does mean our focus has changed. It's a powerful thing. And may we this morning as God's people take the example in these two verses. You are going to need to apply this to your life sometime. And we must do it. So Hushai goes back to Jerusalem. He's there. Chapter 17. Now we see the unfolding here. Absalom has come into the kingdom. He is there now. Ahithophel, this counselor who is part of the conspiracy, has given him counsel. And now he's continuing with the counsel. And what I want you to do this morning is I want you to really listen to what's being said. And I will try to uh, uh, emphasize the points that I think are important. But there's a huge difference that happens in this text between what Ahithophel says and what Hushai says. It's an amazing truth. Listen to what Ahithophel says now to David. And remember David's prayer. God, turn to foolishness what Ahithophel says. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me, let me now choose out 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come unto him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid, and all the people that are with him shall flee, and I will smite the king only. And I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. Okay, this is this is Ahithophel's counsel. He says, David, or he says, Absalom, let me now. I will go, I will do this, I will do that, I will kill the king. Um, and and this is what we'll what we'll do. And and Absalom hears the counsel, the men of Israel hear the counsel, and they all agree this is really a good idea. And it was a good idea. The truth is, at this time in David's life, he is running for his life. He doesn't have time to augment the troops. He doesn't have time to get an army together. Um, this is wise counsel. It's wise. And it would have worked. What he just said would have been the demise of David. Okay, So Absalom hears this. They all think this is a great idea. And then he has this thought in his head. He says, hey, Hushai's here. Let's call him in and find out what he thinks. Verse number five. Absalom called in Hushai the archite and said, let's hear what he says. Verse six. And when Hushai was come unto Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel had spoken after this manner. Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak thou. He says, listen, here's the advice we got. If this is a good idea, tell us. But if you think this is a bad idea, then please tell us. Now listen, I want you to hear this counsel compared to Ahithophel's, and listen closely. Verse 7, And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, thou, speaking to Absalom, thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. And thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is now hid in some pit or in some other place, and it will come to pass, when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever heareth it will say, There is a slaughter among the people that followed Absalom. And he also, that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt, for all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, and they which be with him are valiant men. Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee, from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that thou, Absalom, go to battle in thine own person. So shall we, Upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground. And of him and of all the men that are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he be gotten into some city, then shall all Israel bring ropes to the city, and we will draw it into the river until there be not one small stone found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord hath appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. It's interesting here as you hear the difference between what's being said. Absalom and the men hear Ahithophel, they hear what's being said. It's wise counsel. It's rejected. And yet when Hushai speaks, they don't just hear what he says. They see what he's saying and they feel what he's saying. His advice is weak, and yet it is accepted. Listen to how he paints a picture, if you noticed. Um, they're like bears robbed of her cubs. Your men are like the heart of a lion, will gather all Israel as the sand of the sea. You, Absalom, you will lead them. We'll fall upon them as the dew of the ground. He hides in a city, will take ropes, and will we'll drag it into the river, and not one will be left. Listen, I understand that this is a direct answer to God's prayer to defeat Absalom's, or Ahithophel's counsel. But do you see what Hushai just did here? As he's speaking, do you know what Absalom is thinking? You remember Absalom, don't you? Arrogant, uh, long flowing hair. He thought he was beautiful from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. This is Absalom, and as Hushai is painting a picture, you can see him stick his chest out a little bit, wave his hair back. Maybe the fan is going, Maybe he says, I can't believe it's butter. Mm -hmm. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Don't worry about it. It's old. It's old. And can't you see him as, as Hushai is talking and painting this picture? What is Absalom thinking as Hushai is talking? Do you know? As you you see the difference between what Ahithophel said and what Hushai said, what is Absalom thinking as this picture is being painted? Do you know? Does anybody know? What would you be thinking? Yeah, I'm going to lead the armies of Israel myself and I will be the man. Let me ask you a question. What does Absalom know about leading an army? Absolutely nothing. And yet, Hushai appeals to his pride and his self-deception. And I understand that this is of the Lord to defeat the counsel of Ahithophel, but you understand this morning that this one speech, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, this, I don't know, two minutes, saved David's life, and it was the ruin of Absalom. How was it done? Because Hushai appealed to his pride and his self deception. He flattered him. And Absalom had an overestimated, he overestimated himself and underestimated everyone else. And it destroyed him. We might call this flattery. Listen to what the Bible says about flattery. Proverbs 29, verse 5. It says. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. So the guy or the girl who talks flattering to a person, what they're doing is they're setting you up for a trap. Look at uh, Proverbs 26, verse 28, just a page or so over. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. And what happened to Absalom is... And it didn't take much for a man like Absalom. Hushai appeals to his pride, his arrogancy. He flatters him. And and Absalom now is self-deceived. And that self-deception is not only a trap, but it will destroy him. I I don't know about you, but it seems that we can clearly see the self-deception in others. And we rarely see it in ourselves. I don't know if you're on Facebook or not, but, but oftentimes, or maybe on Pinterest, I'm not on Pinterest, I would never go on Pinterest, I'm a man, um, I wouldn't, um, but they have these epic fails, right, where, they, where someone says, look at this cake I'm going to make, and, and they say, this is a cake, it's beautiful, and I can do that, and so they make the cake, and when you see the after picture, you wouldn't know what it was, it looks like a cow patty, and I'm serious. Or a craft, and they say, this is a craft, and it's so, you know, I I saw this on Pinterest, I'm going to do it in my house, and so they do this craft, and when it's done, it looks hideous. And we clearly see it, but they rarely do. I I want you to notice, I'm going to show you a clip in just a moment, and we're not going to see the whole clip, just about less than two minutes of it. But I want you to see how all of us are self-deceived. And I want you to pay attention to the man you're about to see in a moment who's going to sing. He's a church singer, actually. And I want you to hear what he's saying and hear about how he's bragging of his talents and his abilities. And then I want you to hear him sing. Okay? And so, fellows, can we get that up there? Right. Now, this is, it's, it's dubbed the worst church singer. So just listen. Well, this next and final song is going to be one that has made me pretty famous over the last few years um it has took me a lot of places i didn't think i would be at um but it was the first time on stage new year's eve 2002 uh with one of the best quartets out there today brian free and assurance and i was priv- uh, privileged to be able to sing this one with brian free and uh i don't know if i beat him that night or not but ever since uh, then we've had competitions i've worn him out um not to make me look good or anything but that's what happened but uh this is one that also uh my friends at my hometown church gospel light baptist church in salisbury north carolina has uh really made uh their top choice so therefore we're going to finish off with this one it's called looking for a city looking for a city built above, looking for a city where we'll never die, where the saint and millions never say goodbye. City. That's, that's good, that's good, that's good. Are you clapping because you enjoyed that? Because it's done. Okay. Now, now listen to me. You, you hear that, and, and I, unfortunately I heard someone say, that sounds good. All right. This is what I hear when I hear Southern Gospel music, or this is my idea of, sorry, sorry, cheap shot, I know, I know. And some of you are thinking, man, that guy should be in our choir, right? No one's thinking that. No one. This guy is certainly self-deceived. Is he not? I mean, I'm not a music guy, but but I mean, that was bad. Yes, it was. (laughs) Out, Out of the mouth of babes. And somebody, like his mother, told him growing up that, boy, you can sing. And someone encouraged that man that he could really sing. And the truth is, he has gone through his life believing something that just is not true. He has fooled himself, and we clearly see it. And he doesn't. And what I'm telling you this morning is, there are areas in all of our life, in all of our lives, that others clearly see it, And we rarely do. And whether someone is weaving a story for you to flatter you, or you're believing what you're weaving yourself, being out of touch with reality is a trap, a snare, and destructive. And we're really good this morning at at saying, that guy can't sing but I could do the special. It's our nature. It's just our nature. There is a a quote by uh, a man named Richard Fettman, and here's what he says. The first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. The fool. And so we must be careful. What we clearly see in others, we rarely see in ourselves. And this was the demise of Absalom. My friend, we do that. Each and every one of us do that. We do that spiritually. Now think with me this morning. How many times have you and I been in a service and we heard a message and it was the truth of the word of God. And here's the thought that we had, the only thought we had. I wish so-and-so was here. Because they really need that message. Or you sit, and the truth is powerful, and you say this in your mind. I sure hope my wife is listening. That's my prayer every week, actually. (laughs) Why do we do that? Because we are prone to fool ourselves. And even if the truth hits us squarely, we try to broaden that thing out and make ourselves look good and continue to believe the story we are weaving about ourselves or what someone else told us. Listen to what Billy Sunday said about identifying truth and being hit by it. He said, The backslider likes the preaching that wouldn't hit the side of a house while the real disciple is delighted when the truth brings him to his knees. What I'm telling you this morning is, we clearly see it in everyone else. We rarely see it in ourselves. And we have fooled ourselves. We've fooled ourselves. We, we have um, extricated ourselves from the truth. And we all do it. You might be here this morning, and you've done it spiritually. you fooled yourself in believing that because you're in a Baptist church, because you come all the time, because you put money in an offering plate, because you're good in society, because you're following the golden rule, because you're keeping your taxes, that somehow, some way, you'll be okay when you stand before God? You have deceived yourself. I mean, you just flat out deceive yourself. And so you think, well, at least it's going to go well for me because I've heard the gospel and I know it and that will be good. No, my friend, it will not be good. The more the gospel you hear and understand about the life and death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that he died and paid for your sins, that he was buried and rose again, and, and you hear that over and over and you reject it, my friend, it will not go well with you because what you have done is you've trampled under your feet the blood of Christ. And you'll be more accountable than the man or woman who never comes to church. But you have deceived yourself. And it will be a trap, and it will be a snare. We clearly see it in everyone else. We rarely see it in ourselves. We fool ourselves. We do it spiritually. We do it in this world when it comes to pleasure and freedom. I was talking with Pastor Dan the other day. He was reading a book by Tripp. And he was talking about this idea of, of how I am, this, this, this lie that says, I'm free, so I, my freedom means I can enjoy, enjoy any pleasure I want to enjoy, and it will bring me happiness. And so you name the pleasure, food, recreation, sleep, sex. Don't give me any boundaries. Freedom means that I need to be happy, and so I enjoy all those pleasures. And what Tripp says, and what's so true is, that route is a lie you have deceived yourself. Why? Because all pleasure comes from God. All of it. He is the maker of all of it. Food, sleep, recreation, intimacy. But he's given boundaries. And when we believe and we hear the lie and deceive ourselves that I can do whatever I want, I can eat, I can sleep, I can drink, I can have sex, whenever, With whomever, how often I want to, because that will bring, it's real freedom and that will bring me joy and peace and happiness. My friend, you have fooled yourself. You have fooled yourself. Because God, the Creator, created you. He knows how you're designed, He created those pleasures, and He knows that those pleasures only bring true happiness and joy as long as they're in those parameters. And once they're outside those parameters, they are destructive. Think about it. Eat as much as you want. Do it your whole life. You'll be on the 600-pound show. You will. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. Diabetes and all those things. You want to sleep all the time? Whenever you want to sleep and not work, go ahead. You'll be unemployed the rest of your life. You'll never accomplish anything. You think sex is the answer and you'll do whatever you want, whenever you want? It's a trap, man. And when you get outside of God's boundaries... You will never find the happiness and joy that you think. You have fooled yourself. And you can see it clearly in other people. We never see it in ourselves. Don't fool yourself. We do it in ministry. In ministry. This morning, if you have a gift, if you have a talent, if you have a calling, if you have a ministry, if you serve, you better be careful that you don't fool yourself. You hear people say things like, oh my goodness, you are just, I mean, wisdom just oozes from your mouth. A raw passion and, and uh, you are God's gift to the church and the way you serve and the way you teach and the way you preach. And, and I don't know what we would do without you. And what happens is we believe the hype. I'm going to tell you something, ministries are destroyed because of believing The hype that somehow I am indispensable. was a young preacher, and he preached a message on a Sunday morning, and one of the older ladies in church came up to him and said, Pastor, you are becoming one of the great expositors of our generation. And so he left the service. His wife was in the car with the kids. He barely got his fat head into the car and said to his wife, Sister so-and-so said, I am fast becoming one of the great expositors of our generation. His wife said nothing don't you love that life said nothing. So he got home, and he was kind of miffed at the whole situation. And they're sitting around the dinner table, and, and he's still fishing for a compliment, and says, I just wonder how many great expositors there are in our generation. And finally the wife couldn't take any anymore and said, one less than you think, my dear, one less than you think. <laughs> it's true we start believing our own hype about who we are and how we're indispensable. You have deceived yourself. I have deceived myself. It's foolishness. I think it was Ian Cameron's mother who said, hold your head up high, boy. There's nothing in it. <laughs> it's, it's true, is it? That's right, Ian. It's true, right? Ian, is that true? Yes. You know what she was doing? She was bring him back down to earth. Right? That's right. You know what Zinnendorf said about preaching and ministry? He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And when we start believing the lies and the hype and the flattery, I'm telling you something. For me, for you, for service, for ministry, whatever ability God has given you, it's a trap. It's a trap. We see this in everyday life. You go to the office, you go to the place of work, and, and, the, and the woman there is always put together. She's always attractive. Every hair is in place. She always smells good. She's kind. She's nice. She listens. She respects you. It's like, wow, I deserve this. I wish my wife wouldn't smell like baby vomit would comb her hair every now and then, would not just wear a bathrobe all day long as she's strung with the kids. And you start believing that lie, you have just fooled yourself. You're not dealing with reality, whether it's in the office or on social media or any place else. And when you believe that hype, and and we see it so clearly in everyone else, but we miss it in ourselves. Hey, young people, young ladies here today, you got the guy who comes into your life, and he says, oh, I love you, you're beautiful, you're the best, I can't believe it, you are my life. And then he wants you to compromise your purity. It's not love, it's lust. There's an end game, and it's not about you, it's about him. And when he gets what he wants, he's done. I could tell you story upon story what happens. Oh, we see it clearly in so-and-so. They ended up pregnant. They messed up there. And we never see it in our own lives. First principle, don't fool yourself. Absalom, you're not an army commander. Your hair will not be blowing in the wind as you ride the army forward. A matter of fact, your hair is going to get caught in a tree. You're gonna end up with darts in your heart. He wasn't seeing it. Because he believed the hype. If if the first principle is don't fool yourself, and we are the easiest to fool, how do we have victory in this area? I don't know about you, but, but listen, I don't want to be delusional. We all are. We all think that we're the biggest, the strongest, the smartest, the most spiritual the most beautiful, the most interesting man and the woman, or, man or woman in the world. We think those things. I don't want to be delusional. I, I don't want to be caught in that trap. I don't want to answer my phone when it's ringing in church. <laughs> hmm? I, I don't want that. I want to know what truth is. Um, and that's what we need. We need the truth. I don't want to be trapped. I don't want to be ruined. And I pray this morning that you don't either. So what do we do? Look at John chapter 8 this morning. And these are the words of Christ, and i just give you a couple things as we quickly finish off. John chapter 8 this morning. Look with me at verse number 31. Jesus says, Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed in him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so, if, if, if I don't want to fool myself, the first thing I must do, that you must do, is we must continue in the Word of God. To continue. Because the Word of God is truth, and when I know truth, I have real freedom. Freedom. Listen this morning, my beloved brother and sister in Christ. Do you read the word of God? Do you listen to the word of God? Do you meditate? Do you ruminate? Do you allow it to impact your life? Or do you sit here and be entertained and leave and it never comes across your mind again? Jesus said, it's not just the word, it's continuing in my word. That's when I know the truth of who I am and who he is and how this whole thing functions. And when I know the truth, The truth sets me free. That's the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a light. It is a lamp. It is fire. It is a hammer. And it's freedom. And so this morning, if I want to see clearly, not just everyone else, myself, I must continue in the word of God, not just catching it on Sunday morning, but through the whole week, say, God, Take one verse. Take one verse this week. Meditate. Believe it. And obey it. We must continue in God's word. If we're not going to be deceived, number two, we must continue with one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians 4. And look at verse number 15. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with Ephesians 4, but just so you get the context of what we're talking about, Ephesians 4 is a chapter about the church. It's about this about a called-out assembly of believers who are coming together, and here's what he says in verse number 15. Ephesians 4:15, "But speaking the truth in love, that ye may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ." Someone has said, though a man has the best eyes in the world, he cannot see in any direction, but in that which he turns his eyes. And here's the beauty of the church. Not only do I have the word of God to continue in, but I continue with others. Why? Because this is a place where we are to speak truth with one another and turn our eyes to where they need to be. Can I tell you something? Nobody, nobody sees all of it. Nobody. You and I, we have blind spots. We all have areas in our lives that we are oblivious to. Husbands, your wife knows that to be true, amen? She does. She sees things about you that you would never recognize, you would never admit, and they're there. She's not making them up. They're there. And our eyes have to be turned to that before we ever see it. This is the beauty of the church. And I'm telling you something. If you want to continue to be self-deceived, By all means, go ahead. It's a trap, it's a snare, it's destructive. But if you want deliverance, you must continue in the word of God and you must continue in the body of Christ speaking truth. This is my life. This is how I operate. I go before God and I I acknowledge, Lord, I am a wicked, filthy, no good sinner. Don't be surprised at that. This is my heart. And I say to God, God, I am wretched. I know my heart. I know my mind. I know my pride. I know my selfishness. I know my lust. I know my greed. I know my envy. God, I am so wicked. And then, the first time someone believes me, I get mad. Ever been there? Oh, God, I am wretched. Hey, brother so-and-so, what about? What? What is that? me deceiving myself. We need the truth of the word of God. Listen to what David Paulson says, speaking about speaking truth in the church. He says, someone who will take you seriously, understand you accurately, and treat you charitably, and who will lay it all on the line to you is a gift of God. We cannot see our blind spots, our failings, our areas of neglect, our actions that are contrary to our faith. And then he says this if we only listen to our friends, our family, our yes men, and our devotees, you might as well inject narcotics into your veins. Why? Because you're not living in reality. And it's a high for you to people to tell you how great you are. Can I tell you something? It is a trap, it is a snare, and it is destructive. You say, Pastor Rick, what is it? Is this a beatdown this morning? Is that what we're doing here? You know, you had me come in to beat me down. No, it's not a beatdown, it's called reality. And you can never experience the goodness of life until we get real with ourselves and God. Because truth, the truth of God, is realistic. Why? It exposes our sin. The first thing the gospel tells me is we're all sinners. Why is it then I think that after twenty or thirty or forty years as a Christian, I'm not a sinner anymore? I'm still a sinner. You're still a sinner. And what the Word of God does is the truth exposes sin in my life, not to beat me down, but to bring me into delight. We sing a song around here, old Church Arise. And one of the stanzas says, With the sword that makes the wounded whole. That's reality. It's not a beat down. It's to bring us to the light, to expose our sin. And then truth explains who we are. I don't have to fall into sinful pride and arrogance. I don't have to look through to other people or things to find value and worth and joy and life. I don't have to drink out of broken cisterns to find my joy. The truth explains who we are. Christian, you want to know the truth this morning about who you are? You are loved. You are redeemed. You are purchased with a price. You are the apple of God's eye. You are justified. You have been cleansed. You are beloved. You are child of the king. Hey, I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to be dishonest anymore. This is who I am. And this is what the word of God does. The truth, it exposes sin in my life, but it explains who I am. Who I really am. And now in his presence, I have seen the path of life. In his presence, is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so here's the challenge this morning. You hear Absalom, you see him being puffed up in his arrogance and his pride, thinking of himself as riding the white horse, charging into battle, knowing nothing about the army, nothing. and Ultimately, hanging from a tree with darts in his chest. First principle, don't fool yourself. And you and I are the easiest people to fool. And if we're not going to be fooled, we must continue in the word of God. We must continue with the people of God as it exposes sin in our lives and it explains who we truly are. Then, and only then, can you understand joy and peace and happiness and bliss. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.